Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. Amen. Got another episode lined up for you all. Episode 24. I don't know what the title is. Take the language. Take the world. Take the language. Yes, take we're the going world. with it. We're going with that I title. I thought you typed it in the notes. But oh, I not. did type it in the notes. You just need to refresh. Uh, I, I will do so now. And in case we're... It's totally going to go over everybody's head because the target uh, target audience for this particular title would be those of the age from probably, I'd say, uh, 33 to 41 who had actually viewed this series Heroes <laughs> where the phrase, save the cheerleader, save the world, came into play. Yes. Playing off of that is take the language, take the world. Tonight we're going to be uh, dissecting some... Marxism, critical theory, um, and how all of that has stemmed into the idea and the very real weighty truth that if you can redefine words, take over language, then in some ways you can win over the culture. Um, and that is uh, that is a very prevalent topic for us, given where we live today. Yes. The redefining, redefining of terms moves so fast, uh, even those that want to stay in the front, ed- front cutting edge are often left behind and find themselves being bigoted, hateful people by accident. Mm. Oh, this is what happens. I told you to silence I your I forgot to silence my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved, you butthead. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, I have been reading uh, the book What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice by Jeffrey D. Johnson. Uh, and I read that coming off, uh, hot off the heels of reading uh, Fault Lines by Vadi Balkum. Um, and uh, I have been thoroughly enjoying it. I am almost finished it. And um, I feel like my brain is exploding uh, just with, with a, a, a much more full picture of what these principalities and powers are, are trying to scheme and do in our world over the past 100, 120 years. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a weighty thing to consider. So, uh, we're going to bring some of that to you here on this episode. Um, but first we're going to talk about, we're going to do a little intro to critical theory. Uh, what is it? Where did it come from? And why are we talking about it? (laughs) Why are you guys doing this today? Uh, that's because... (laughs) Hey there, Justin. What the fuck are y'all talking about this today? What happens is <laughs> yeah, we should do the rest of the podcast. Like try that. to ignore that. <laughs> I'll just pull it out right away. What happens uh, is that when you can take the words and redefine them, uh, they lose their original meaning. When they don't have an objective meaning, but whatever we give them, uh, they have they have no no foundation, and therefore you can always be in violation of any particular uh, uh, cultural dogma that is established without any objective sourcing for it. That's the problem. That's that's what happens, um, and and what critical theory seeks to do is it, it's a well. I want to go too far into it, but it's basically its goal is to destroy. Its goal is to tear down. Um, it's actually just part of a giant circular li- circular logic. It it just continually uh, criticizes whatever uh, whatever is established. But the reality of that is is even as critical theory itself may be established, it would be undone because you would have to criticize. It now as the establishment, it's it's a stu- it's vain. It's, it's all it's self refuting. It's, it's a, all vanity. It's a very self refuting worldview. All right. Well, you you know what? You have a wonderful definition that you worked with off of the off of the book that you are currently reading, and it uh, is actually uh, pretty uh, 
it's pretty accurate, especially as we're speaking particularly tonight about language and what it seeks to do to it, although I am very positive we will be branching a large area of topics a as we swath, talk about this. so to speak. You could say a litany if you wanted oh, to. there you go. A uh... plethora? Plethora <laughs> piñatas. would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? <laughs> oh, yes, el guapo. <laughs> you have a plethora. Jefe. <laughs> Do you know what a plethora is? <laughs> we could do this all night. <laughs> That's the three amigos, in case you've never seen that movie, and you should. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So, yeah, critical theory. What is it? Um, Jeffrey Johnson, in his book, uh, has this succinct definition. Critical theory is a social philosophy of class warfare that claims language is a social construct used as a means of oppression by those in power and which calls for the deconstruction of power structures through the deconstruction of language. Um, so there you have you have a cascade. So it, it, it is attempting to dismantle oppression by dismantling power, and you dismantle power by deconstructing or dismantling language. Um, that is what critical theory is. Um, in in the, the briefest of nutshells, um, Proponents of critical theory have written books as to what it is, but that's that's probably the most succinct you're going to get, uh, with, while still maintaining some form of accuracy. Um, yes, it's basically just again, it's the whole goal of critical theory is to criticize everything. It's it's it is deconstruction of everything, particularly as we see it currently, which probably probably the um, the wisest move and it was, it was really an inevitable move given what the the tenets of critical theory would be um would be for it to go into everything and and reconstruct what a a word means based upon its goals um and its goals are to tear down whatever the establishment is whatever has been established um and and quite often what has been objectively sourced it wishes to to tear down and what it can do what, what can be done when something is is now destroyed right or or the nice way of saying that is deconstructed is you put it back together however you want or just build a new one right or or, or build a new one and and that's what in essence what happens because as it puts it back together it is brand new it is not what it was before um the problem is it become the the circular the circular logic then applies you're continually rejiggering and redefining these things it's never what it ever was before as soon as it's constructed it should be deconstructed again uh, if that were indeed the goal of critical theory yes because once the deconstruction movement becomes the establishment you then have to deconstruct the deconstruction movement which has become the establishment yes but the unfortunate process is actually in reality the goal of it is to actually cause the chaos it's to cause the friction it's to actually bring people against people it's to bring idea against idea so that there is no peace for in the in the establishment of no peace it actually uh, achieves its goal yes and they've literally said it i've got a quote later on that will go into that i will save it for yes that. you save it for later buddy so uh where did it come from because as we know things that um that exist here in this universe don't just pop into being so uh, critical theory also has its history um, rooted in Karl Marx. Whoa. Oh. There's always like this straw manning that happens like, oh, Karl Marx wasn't about critical theory. You know what? Let's just see what Karl Marx had to say. Here's some quotes. 
On the other hand, this is uh, in case it wasn't clear, quote, on the other hand, it is precisely the advantage of the new trend that we do not dogmatically anticipate the world, but only want to find the new world through criticism of the old one. More, more specifically, but, quote, but if constructing the future and settling everything for all times are not our affair, it is all the more clear what we have to accomplish at the present. I am referring to ruthless criticism of all that exists, ruthless both in the sense of not being afraid of the results it arrives at and in the sense of being just as little afraid of conflict with the powers that be. This this whole idea, this whole quote is literally to establish the idea that in ruthless criticism, uh, they will tear down whatever exists currently, unafraid of whatever will come after it or the conflict that it brings. Uh, the reality is that whatever comes after it is of no concern because the goal is to bring about the conflict. It's to create constant conflict. That's that's the ding, man. All right. Um so that's coming from the let's we could say that's from the horse's mouth himself, right? Right yep. from Karl Marx. Now it's not solely from Karl Marx. I mean, from Karl Marx it extends out to, um, all right. So brief treatise on the history of of Marxism and how it's morphed and flowed into more current topics today, like we would understand from the many uh, what what is referred to as grievance studies, which is in essence critical theory applied into many different disciplines. That's what grievance studies is, right? Um, and so when you talk about critical theory, we have a more modernized term of understanding of what Marx was trying to do. When we talk about things like social justice, we have a more modernized idea of what Marx was attempting to do. Namely, Marx's goal was mostly an economic one, right? He was, his goal was to unite the workers of the world. Right against against those that were the the owners, so to speak. The the um, I just totally lost it. The haves and the haves nots. I'm sorry, I totally got it. The proletariat and the bourgeois, right? So so the goal here was for him to establish, in an economic sense, uh, a conflict. The ruthless criticism of all things to, to create a conflict. This was a class conflict. Cr class conflict created around economics and economic system, the economic system of Marxism. Um, and, and in doing that, as he created that conflict, his idea was that as the workers saw, if they could simply unite together, they could come against, right, those that had, those that were the, the ones in authority, right? So his goal was to set up, in essence, the same thing we see in critical theory, an oppressed class of people and a oppressor class. And in Marx's system, always the oppressor uh, is is the the one that that is in the right, and the uh, I'm sorry, the oppressed is the one in the right, and the oppressor is always in the wrong. They are always morally wrong, and the oppressed is always morally right. That's how he sets up the conflict. But what was happening is those that were following Karl Marx and and Marx and even Marx himself never saw the fruition of his. Uh, his philosophy as it was applied in many other places, but he never saw the fruition because had he seen it, he would have seen how much it, well, it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, he don't care. Um, but again, he wants the conflict. Um, what happened was it morphed into um, 
into a much more culturally appropriate or culturally applicable way to bring about these conflicts. All right, so one of the things they, they sought to do was establish, uh, namely, ways to find their roots as uh, Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian Marxist philosopher, uh, flow, flow into, right, to take Marxism into what he called the robes of society. Um, so you think circa 1800s, you're looking at those, those places where robes existed, right? Um, if they could find a way to infiltrate things like education, right? The robes of society. You think professors, if you we're in graduation season now, when you watch a graduation, what are they wearing? Graduation gowns, right? Uh, they could flow if they could flow into the halls of of government, namely into things like courts, right? Robe, judges wear robes. Um, if they could find ways to infiltrate different denominations of churches, if they could get their ideas into those hands, right? The robes of the priest. Um, and this, by this method, right, he was seeking to enact um, Marxism, this idea of creating those conflicts um, in just about any way they could into all areas of, of society. And now I feel like I've been talking for a while, but <laughs> after that, what happened was they established, a, and the, the critical theorists, uh, those that had followed Marx, established a school, a school that was uh, based in Weimar, Germany. Um, and that was known as the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School might be something you've heard of before, um, and maybe not. But what happened was, as uh, as the National Socialist Party was rising, and Hitler himself was rising, uh, what often happens when you have a socialist movement, or or even a, really a Marxist-defined movement, if you're going to have, have that level of power innate in the state, which is ultimately what happens, um, it, it begins to push in on the intellectuals who would have free thought. Well, the Frankfurt School enjoyed free thought, and they wanted to continue thinking freely, um, and they saw that this was going to be a problem under the Nazi party, so they took their <coughs> show on the road, so to speak, and decided to settle themselves at the very welcoming Columbia University. That name should be much more familiar to you, since that's in New York. This is right about 1935 they did this. It's almost like they brought their slavery right over in here to America. Oh boy, did they, as that's been the case of the history of America quite often um but but well yet again bringing a problem over with them to uh settle in columbia university um where they were continuing to think critically about all things uh fortunately when they did that they changed the name of the magazine they published which um in germany was known as the and i i do not speak german so this is a broken reading uh the zeitschrift für sozialforschung nope that's probably not good but uh, translated in English, that is the Magazine of Social Research. Uh, that wasn't going to fly as well in America. So when they came over to the Frankfurt to the Columbia University, they changed their magazine published to Studies in Philosophy and Social Science. Oh, look at that. that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I like I like philosophy and social science. Actually, I, I like both of those things. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, and then they just uh, continued on their way, uh, investing into um, that mentality of pushing into the robes of society, establishing a, a Marxism into the culture. This takes us all the way today. Um, I tried to do that fast, but this takes us all the way to the debt to today, where we're now seeing some of the fruits of what the Frankfurt School aimed to do back in 1935. And that was to establish uh, the ruthless criticism of all things, the, the criticizing of all things, the deconstructing of all things, um, and to set up this idea of social justice, uh, critical theory, 
We have the ideas of intersectionality. All of these ideas stemming from uh, Carl, all the way back to Karl Marx through the Frankfurt School, coming to America and finding it in all the institutions, <laughs> taking over all the robes. That's where it is. That's where it is. It, it manifests itself in the social justice movements of today that seek to put uh, oppressor versus oppressed, the educated versus the uneducated, the rich versus the poor, the white versus the black, the male versus female. Yep. The the straight versus the queer. It's it's just it's the gender rigid versus the gender plurality. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it, it brings itself, the, the social justice movements are based on the critical theory, which is based on, um, the Marxism, um, and the ties are very easy to see, um, if you just take a look at what these people, these proponents of these ideologies say, uh, and, and we will get into some quotes from them. And you can find detailed histories of these. We'll try to include some resources for you. But the reality of it is, you just got the poor man's the poor man's uh, quick version there. Or, yes, far smarter or, people have written far larger uh, books. Critical theory history for dummies, so to speak, if you will. Yeah, and you're welcome. <laughs> Buy dummies. You got it for free. <laughs> Buy dummies for dummies. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> Freeze for me. <laughs> well, critical theory seeks to destroy. <laughs> I'm not pulling that voice out. Thank you. Um, all right, so segue here. Um, another another quote from uh, from Jeffrey Johnson. So the reason why we're talking about this is because critical theory seeks to destroy anything that can be taken objectively, starting with knowledge and then language. Um, so let me let me flip to this quote here. Wherever it is. Um, here we go. Um, Thus, for the Frankfurt School, language is a social construct of the ruling class used as a means of oppression, and therefore language is oppressive. Um, because knowledge is the construction of language, and because language is the construction of socially constructed definitions written by those in power, knowledge becomes a means of power and oppression. So that's where we're, that's where we're basing off. Again, that's Jeffrey Johnson. That's where we're basing uh, this whole kind of topic of take the language, take the world, is that um, the, the, the main thing that, that critical theory proper seeks to destroy is any, ob any objectively based language, and, and with it any objective, objective forms of knowledge and truth. Um, because critical theorists know that critical theory can't actually accomplish what it's doing if it actually stands up against objective truths because objective truths are true no matter what you say and unfortunately objective reality flies in the face of what the critical theorists say so in order for them to actually gain any ground they have to try to destroy um, objectivity um, now con continuing uh, continuing these quotes here from uh, Jeffrey Johnson he he uh, he details this he says psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich uh, who took over Sigmund Freud's outpatient clinic and wrote The Sexual Revolution in 1936, claimed, quote, Marx found social life to be governed by the conditions of economic production and by the class conflict that resulted from these conditions at a definite point in history. It is only seldom that brute force is resorted to in the domination of the oppressed classes by the owners of the social means of production. Its main weapon is its ideological power over the oppressed. For it is this ideology that is the mainstay of the state apparatus. End quote. Johnson says, 
it's not necessarily jails or prisons that keep the have-nots oppressed. It is language itself that is holding them down. The haves define the meaning of words, and such proscribed meaning is what keeps the have-nots in line and submissive. And this is the heart of critical theory. Any authoritative meaning that passes itself as objective truth is inherently discriminating and oppressive. Therefore, critical theory seeks to deconstruct objective meaning wherever it's found. I'll just, just repeat that one sentence. And this is the heart of critical theory. Any authoritative meaning that passes itself as objective truth is inherently discriminating and oppressive. We should have major red flags popping up in our minds, Christians, when we, when we come face to face with that, that reality. Um, Look, whenever we're tearing down the objective, we're raising up the subjective, and I'm here to, all that means is everyone is their own God. It is, uh, it, it is the essence of the book of Judges when it said everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yep. That, that is the essence of what it is saying. Every time. It's almost like we've tried this before. Uh, we try it all the time in our own lives individually, which we will talk about briefly in a moment. Um, and with this, you wanted to—I was assuming you wanted to point out this—the uh, little change in language that even occurred. Yes, um, yes, so I did. Here in the states, when um, when <coughs> uh, Amy Coney Barrett—no, that's the wrong one—Judge <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh. No, when, it was Amy Coney Barrett. Was it? Yes. I have the article right here. Yeah, it's right there. No, it's I, clearly I put right the there. Article right it's there. in black and white, or well, black and white with some other colors on the page. Um, when Amy Coney Barrett was uh, being confirmed in our uh, Senate hearing, uh, I believe it was uh, Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, who actually a terrible, terrible you know, magistrate. I don't want to. She's not a good rep. You know what? It's not. I mean, the people voted for her. It's their she own re- fault. I guess, I suppose she represents a large portion of people coming from uh, her state of Hawaii. And so, uh, she... Beautiful place to visit. Yeah, she took a beautiful... Uh, she took a common phrase, the phrase being sexual preference, and declared it to be a bigoted phrase. Uh, and just like that, sexual preference uh, became a bigoted phrase. It was literally redefined within, I believe, 24 hours. It was less than yes, that. Yes, less than 24 hours. Uh, that Merriam-Webster had uh, redefined the word in sexual preference. No longer uh, was it to be applied to those who choose uh, or or desire to have um, sex with a certain partner. Rather, it became a bigoted term, and now it's it's right out. Uh, Merriam-Webster not only does, does not really have it defined, they just define it as a hateful, bigoted word. <laughs> Literally. So just like that, we're redefining a term at the whim of a robe of culture, a robe Literally. institution literally decided to redefine a word, and boom, now we're, we're stuck in that. Yeah. So uh, from, from the article, it says, During the hearing Tuesday... Barrett was asked whether she agrees with the late Justice Antonin Scalia's criticism of the same-sex marriage ruling in Obergefell v. Hodges, the landmark case which legalized gay marriage in the United States and which advocates worry Barrett would not support if confirmed in the nation's highest court. This is Barrett's answer. Barrett's answered, I have never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference and would never discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. That does not seem inflammatory to me. However... Now, if you go literally to merriamwebster.com and you type in sexual preference, this is the definition of sexual preference. 
it says, and this is the only thing that it says, the term sexual preference as used to refer to sexual orientation is widely considered offensive in its implied suggestion that a person can choose who they are sexually or romantically attracted to. Which is not the definition of sexual preference. That is a trigger warning for the term sexual preference, which was literally changed within 24 hours from, from the maybe, time... From Senator from Hawaii declaring it to be changed <laughs> to the time it was changed by the a very well, well-known dictionary. <laughs> right. And this is happening... The, the reason that we bring this up, um, which leads us into our next topic of why we should care, but the reason that we bring this up is to show you that that when 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 we talk about these things or when you see these things posted on Instagram or on Facebook and you see you know Vadi B writing books and and all of this stuff and you wonder whether or not this stuff actually matters right or whether or not any of this stuff is actually happening or if it's still far off in the distance no it's here it's here that is our that that, that happened in our nation's congressional hearings for this this Senate or this uh, Supreme Court nomination, which is <laughs> what would you call it, the highest unelected office <laughs> in the land, it's it is a significant office in 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 our governmental system, and here we have Merriam-Webster ch- literally overnight changing the definition of a term so that one day it is not inflammatory and the next day. It is in the middle of this uh, confirmation hearing. confirmation hearing, and and perhaps if you if if you're familiar at all with any online discussion that has anything to do with race or social justice or anything, perhaps you've been the victim of of some of these definitional changes right on the bat. For instance, um, you know the Bible would would define you know prejudice a certain way or racism a certain way. Uh, or ethnic prejudice, which would probably be a, a more biblically accurate term. Um, of... Ethnic prejudice is what we would determine as racism. Right. Um, but, however, there is technically only one race, the race of humanity, human right. race. Right. There are then many ethnicities, so it is a ethnicity issue that right. we bring up. But, but you know... Biblically speaking. Right. And and there 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 is a case to be made that that... that that, that that does indeed exist to be prejudiced against or have a hatred of someone else on the basis of solely their ethnicity well, um, certainly is a heinous thing and that is a, that is a definition that is widely agreed upon but now it is it is racist just to be white or or not black or it, you can be bl- racist um if you are black and you disagree with that new definition of racism However, if you agree with the new definition of racism and are black, you cannot be racist. Right. You are. You have a layer of invisible anti-racist, anti-racistness. And by the way, you. they get around this by redefining the word racism, which right? is why we cannot allow them to redefine. Re- but we will get there. We'll we, get there. Are we going to get there? Oh, we. Oh, we. Well, we're going to get to that. But racism, racism currently, as as I as I would say, racist means someone who. Uh, ethnically discriminates that that is the sole factor upon which they they discriminate correct ethnicity yes however when as soon as you start to unpack what racism is currently uh, we have redefined it using the terms using terms like hegemonic power 
Um, Whoa, what, what playbook system, did that come from? And systems of oppression. Oh, you can find those directly in uh, the writings of one Karl Marx himself. That is exactly the terms he uses. It's basically his ideas regurgitated into racism. Um, and so as soon as you do that, <laughs> well, bada bing. Mm. I mean, right there. Alrighty, so why should we care? We've got a couple bullet points here. We didn't even mention like gender and how that used to be a term that applied to words. Words were gendered in romantic languages or Latin-based language. How does it work? Which languages? Uh, Not me. You, you gendered words. You, you learn You learn this in Spanish. Our language. Right? You have to gender words, right? Yeah. You have Nino, hermano, hermana. Nina. I mean, holy crud, guys. These are gendered words. Baño, baña. <laughs> yeah, okay. And they're male and female. The words are masculine or feminine. The idea is that the, the, the <laughs> words themselves don't actually have <laughs> genitals. All right? Holy crud. And then we take gender and we start applying it to people as if gender is this non-binary thing. Here's what happens. when Even when it was used originally, it was always binary. Yeah. <laughs> always. Oh, gosh. I don't even get me started. We can't it's do okay. This. We live in a clown world. It, it just is what it is. So, But this is all the redefinition of terms. We're redefining right. words. We're, re we're applying them differently. We're changing their meanings. We're making them morph into whatever actually fits the appropriate level of critical theory in that, that role so that there can be deconstruction, chaos, um, and, and ultimately the reconstruction into whatever image um, they desire. So, yes. Uh, forging on. Um, so the first point that we have under the uh, section, why should we care? Why? Why should we care? It's because they want to deconstruct the family, the church, morality, and God himself. That last one is the secret. That's the one. That's This is the problem. That's what they're trying to get. God. At. God is the issue. Yep. So uh, to quote Johnson uh, again, he says, the objective is to deconstruct meaning, which they excuse me, which they deem is intolerant to liberate the so-called oppressed from the unjust bondage of those who are in power, or as the director of the Frankfurt School, Max Horkheimer said, to liberate, quote, to liberate human beings from the circumstances that enslave them, end quote. For Horkheimer, the endgame of such liberation is, quote, individual self-emancipation and self-creation. Now, if that doesn't sound, you know, sinful, I don't know what does. In other words, to have liberation from God, all authority and meaning and traces of God must be deconstructed because authority is inherently oppressive in their worldview. Authority is inherently oppressive in their worldview. So they are coming for everything and anything that any normal, even semi-Orthodox Christian would hold as a as a core tenet of our worldview the family the church god um, they want to tear it all down they want to tear down the headship of men they want to tear down the leadership of the church they want to tear down these moral impositions that come from white males throughout history that come from you know a book which is imbued with god's authority and they just they want to tear it all down um, and that is probably the first and foremost reason why we must care about this issue. And again, that's quoting Max Horkheimer, which was one of the directors of the Frankfurt School, huh. um, of this critical theory uh, machine, factory. 
Um, so it's again, it's straight from the horse's mouth. This is what they want. Yeah, they don't. And the, here's the thing: they try to hide the ball now, um, and that's not even true inherently because when you get into the actual writings of the people that are doing the thinking on critical theory, they don't hide the ball at all. Um, but when you start putting the public face on it, then they hide the ball. Yeah. Uh, the public face hides the ball significantly. But they believe they've already taken the institution of higher education. They don't hide the ball in the classroom in there. They don't feel they have to. They own that space. Uh, so why hide the ball there? Um, and and we see we see this in the innate uh, conflict that that bumps up to objectivity. That's what this issue is. That's why they hate God because there is no objectivity apart from God. Right. That's the, the only way to have an objective source is to have God. Uh, and, and, and we would say God rightly defined uh, as God has defined himself uh, through the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic and, and biblical framework. That's how God has defined himself. This has always been true. Here, let me read from um, this is William Blackstone from his commentaries on English law. This is uh, one of the uh, resources that was used uh, a lot by the, uh, the founding father, fathers to establish our, our uh, system of governance. And in doing so, understanding how that law needed to have an objective source. And uh, William Blackstone wrote on that a lot in the commentaries. Um, and what was that objective source, you might wonder. I will let him answer. Here he says, It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original, the doctrines thus delivered, we call the revealed or divine law, and they are found only in the Holy Scriptures. Hmm. God's word, God's law, that is the objective source because God is the objective source. And so what you see here quintessentially is a setup between um, between the subjective and the objective. You see a setup between uh, what I will call um, immorality and morality, between unholiness and holiness. That is the setup. That is what this, this battle is actually for. That is what it's all about. And this has always been the case from Satan's fall to our fall to where we live today, every day, each of us in our own individual lives. So watch this. Ready? Satan, all right, desired to be as God. Satan's issue with God is that God was oppressing him. That was Satan. Satan couldn't figure out why he could not be God. He wanted to be the objective source. He wanted to rule and reign and take God's glory for himself. That was his goal. We uh, we read this, Isaiah uh, 14, verse 12. Uh, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's Satan's desire. That was his goal. He wanted to take the place of God. Yep. God was oppressing him through his authoritative position as the objective source. So then what does Satan do? 
Satan, Satan is judged, and in judgment, he comes, he comes to bring temptation uh, to man. Genesis 3, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. This, this, is, this is the idea here, that we, we, must, we must reject God and become our own gods, Right? That is how we will liberate ourselves. We liberate ourselves from God and his oppressive nature. Now, this is exactly, let me take this right to Marx. This is exactly how Marx describes Satan as the great liberator in two of his early poetry poetry works. He, he himself was a devout atheist. He, he didn't want nothing to do with God, but he certainly enjoyed the father of all lies, Satan. Mm. He saw Satan as the great liberator. Right, Satan was set, was coming to liberate us from the oppressive nature of God, and that's why the real issue here, right, in establishing the oppressor and oppressed, right, is to is to remove all objective source. If we just get rid of prisons, right, then then everyone will be better. We get rid of the law, we get rid of prisons, we get rid of the police force. Everyone will be fine then because they won't be pushing back against oppression. I mean, just think about that for half a second. You know yourself. You know me. That's why this is also the same struggle that's within each of us. We believe God is the oppressor at any given moment when we reject his truth that he calls us to live out in, in his holiness and, and, and through the power of his spirit. And we seek to establish our own yep. order, our own rule by gravitating towards the things <laughs> we decide we want, that we feel he is keeping us from. We are fools. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> and we run to unholiness was, away from God's holiness. What was that song that, that Mrs. Potts said? You know, Tales as old as time. Oh, no. This was this came up last week. So oh, no. It's still here. This is the story. It's the story of the world, and this is yeah. this is taking the story. This is taking that eternal conflict, and 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 we're just we're fighting it now. We're fighting it now, current day. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, that's why we have some bullet points at the end that we need to uh, to grab a hold of very clearly because this is this is the this is the the forces of darkness in high places. This is this is that right. This is what we're pushing back against if we're going to hold high the glory of God uh, and His Word. Yep. Um, so moving on, that was a, that was a beautiful segue into that into that second that second point um, about about this being the narrative of all of history as we know it. Um, but uh, so we we talked about um, they want to deconstruct the family, the church, morality, and God Himself. Um, we must care about this because this is the tale of sin um, that that we know from the very beginning. Uh, this is not anything new. Um, thirdly, they don't want you, they want your kids. Um, again, quoting uh, Max Horkheimer, the director of the Frankfurt School, he said this. He said, the revolution won't happen with guns. Rather, it will happen incrementally, year by year, generation by generation. We will gradually infiltrate their educational institutions and their political offices transforming them slowly into Marxist entities as we move towards universal egalitarianism. Now, if that's not a line that just sounds like it's coming straight from a villain's mouth, I, I don't know I don't know what else to tell you. 
if only that were the problem, it's not that it just comes from a villain's mouth. It comes from a villain's mouth who, who might as well have been a prophet and, and has pushed so hard. It's not that they're a prophet. It's that they have worked That's to what bring they about, wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, they, they set it up and then they did it. This oh. is where we live today. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And we didn't see it coming because we were fraught in a... We were fraught... A, I'm saying this wrong. A frog in a pot that was slowly brought to boil. Yep. Um, and, and so, while it may not have been prevalent for our parents or, or their parents or, or us, it is certainly prevalent now in the schools for our young children and it is and it fully is invested in the schools for those that are in what would be just the generation behind us in the higher education. If you don't think there's anything to President Biden one of your kids at age two, you you got another thing coming for you. <clears throat> well, it's not... It, look, I don't want to just say it's President Biden... I don't believe President Biden has the wherewithal to understand exactly oh. what he's saying, but the reality of the, the agenda, the agenda that he represents, that's correct, and that is, that is that absolutely represents. true. The young, the younger and younger and younger and younger uh, is the goal here. You had that quote. I thought maybe I, I, I do. I, thought I have maybe. it right here. Wait, you go ahead. Oh, a different quote? No, go ahead. You can do that quote, and then I'll do my quote. Go oh, for it. Ready for this? This is uh, this is what is Engels' first name? Friedrich. This is Friedrich Engels. Friedrich. This is straight from his book, The Principles of Communism. This is an answer to question 18, which is what will the course of this what will be the course of this revolution? He says this, uh, answer number eight, education of all children from the moment they can leave their mother's care in national establishments at national cost, education and production together. And needless to say, the problem with with the problem with what, it right there. <laughs> it's right there. It's what they're doing. <laughs> the problem, the problem, real, the real problem here, and, and I think this is important. The problem, the reason that the Frankfurt School moved from Weimar, or the reason it began in Weimar, is because there was a place where they, this idea, these ideas of Marx could grow, um, and they saw the, the, the situation in Germany being that one, being one where those ideas could grow. The problem that always happens is when these ideas get into power, they become uh, the violent, <laughs> violent and oppressor. And so as, as the Nazi party, which again was the National Socialist Party, began to take power, um, it, Hitler himself was still espousing these exact ideas because Hitler himself, direct quote, was... <laughs> You feed them, you clothe them, but the heart of the children belongs to us. Mm. The Reich is actually what he said. Right? Change that to the state now and you have the exact same thing. You feed them, you well, you know what? Actually, we'll feed them. But you you clothe them and their heart belongs to the state. Well, you know what? Why don't you fill, you you clothe them, but you also, you know, give them a roof. You know what? Never mind. We'll feed them, we'll give them a roof. You clothe them and and their heart still belongs to us. And if you can't clothe them, it's okay. We'll give you money for that too. In fact, you know what? Everything about that child belongs to us because you can't care for them. We can. You don't know what is good for them. We do. That's the motto of the state. And I mean, it, but it, it's worse than that. The, the critical theorists state... That it's oppressive for the child to be under the headship of their parents. But good for the child to be under the headship of the state. Right. It's self-refuting, I know. But it's it's just ridiculous. It's not even, it's not even. oh, no, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. It's, don't worry about it. It's, you can't do it. You, you are an oppressor. We have to do it now. 
And like although, it's, it's antagonistic to the family is what I'm trying to and say. And although the Frankfurt School agreed with with the National Socialist Party in that in this way, they agreed with that statement from Hitler. The problem was Hitler was becoming too oppressive to them, so they ran and brought their crud here <laughs> and found open arms. Take it back. Open Take arms back. <laughs> in Columbia University. By the way, what's interesting is uh, how the... Uh, the amazing segregation that took place in Columbia College, which, by the way, is the college, the smaller school of Columbia University, had incredible segregation in their graduation this year. Big surprise as they as they allowed. It's just the fruits of allowing the Frankfurt School to settle in your institution 90 years ago. Their whole goal was to create these conflicts. And now you've now you've gone. We've gone back to segregating on any number of of issues in our own graduations at the very college of the very school that housed the frankfurt school in 1935 but i digress off of the well that no that's actually a good segue into this next one which oh yes which is that they've already accomplished many of their stated goals we need to see the previous six minutes of discussion (laughs) right we need to pay attention to this not because it's far off but because it's already happened in some way, much of this discussion has already happened in the past, and we're dealing with the after effects of it currently. So here, here's a here's a quote um, again in Johnson's book, but he quotes Saul Alinsky. He wrote a book called Rules for Radicals in 1971. And as I read this, um, just try to think about the state of our nation right now and on what precipice we stand. So listen to this. Any revolutionary change must be preceded by a passive, affirmative, non-challenging attitude toward change among the mass of our people. They must feel so frustrated, so defeated, so lost, so futureless in the prevailing system that they are willing to let go of the past and chance the future. Oh, great. Isn't that, that's exactly where we are. That's exactly where we are. What these people are trying to do, what they've stated that they're trying to do, is be loud enough, angry enough, violent enough, and long enough for the people who couldn't care less, but who want them out of their hair to say, fine, just take it. That's the stated goal. This was back, this was back in the works in 1971, is when that was written. And boom, they have it. They have a passive, affirmative, non-challenging populace. They have a populace that is frustrated, defeated, lost, and futureless. That's what people think, especially, especially, I can't imagine what our brothers in Canada, brothers and sisters in Canada are facing right now, but, but especially as, as some of these mandates continue on, and as, as we're coming out of COVID, at least here in the States, you know... Frustrated, defeated, lost, and futureless is quite literally what what caused so many people to take their lives this past year. That's a this is a hard, horrible tragedy. Terrible. So so yes, we must care about this because they've already accomplished many of their stated goals. We have to course correct the church as one of the as the last bastion. The church and the family are the last bastions to defend against this sickness that is infecting our country. If you happen to buy Saul Linsky's, uh book, Rules for Radicals, uh, do you know one of the uh, epigraphs that is uh, it is attributed to? One of the 
dedic almost dedications. You know how you dedicate a book? You have you have an idea? Uh, yeah, Billy Graham. Uh, no, uh, that would be uh, Lucifer. And direct quote: "Lest we forget, at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history." And who is now, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which? The first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Directly from Rules for Radicals, Saul Linsky, in his introductory page as he lays out dedications of the book. So it's too on the nose, people. It's right in, it's right there. The memes write themselves. All right. So what what should we do? What should we do? We cannot give up. So what should we do? Um, we've we've got a a fast flying bullet point list. Just take our word for it. No, I'm just kidding. We'll talk about whatever we need. And to talk about. none of it's none of it's hard. In fact, some of the things are very enjoyable. Oh yeah, uh, I mean they all bring their own challenges. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're easy. In fact, they all require. They're all difficult because they all require work. However, none of these are like. Hard to understand. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Uh, number one is read your Bibles. Dun, dun, dun. Why would you read? Why? Why is that one of the solutions here, Jesse? Because it will help solidify you even further into objective reality about who you are, who God is, how you relate to him, um, how to obtain salvation, and how the world actually works. Yes and amen. That would be why. We have a serious biblical literacy you problem. You're 100% over there. Yeah. 100% right now. Serious biblical literacy problem. And I mean, we've mentioned it every episode. Every episode that we mention, people just completely twisting Romans 13 out of context, completely twisting all these other scriptures out of context. We have a huge, and pastors even, we have a huge biblical literacy problem, and we need to be a people that gets back to the word. Crack a Bible and get high on Jesus. <laughs> One of my favorite t-shirts I ever saw in a youth group. <laughs> I saw, I, I remember, I remember walking to this kid. I think I was a youth leader at the time when I saw that shirt. And I pointed at it. I just started laughing. I said, oh my gosh, where did you get that shirt? <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, neither here nor there. Oh man. The all right. The 2000s were such an interesting time. <laughs> all right. Number one, read your Bibles. Number two. Go to church. Go to church. Wow. One might say that that's essential. It is essential. <laughs> oh, no. Open your doors and get your What is that, episode 21? 20? Or, which is too many episodes. I, I, I can't even keep track anymore. But we did one. Yeah. Um, Go to church. Why? Why? What's at, what's at church? You'll find the community of believers at church. You know what the community, the community of believers can do? They can encourage and exhort you in the scriptures. They can also admonish, admonish mm -hmm. you and bring discipline to your life. Yep. They, can, they, they, bring, uh, they bring all other aspects of your life into a communal process. Mm -hmm. They help to illuminate and strengthen the Holy Spirit in you through the Holy Spirit in them and also bring about the truth of God's word to bear in your life. Yep. This is what happens in the church as you corporately gather, corporately learn, corporately sing, and corporately remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on a regular in basis. In person. I could keep going. Do I need to keep going? No, Baptize was, the believers. Preach the gospel. Holy crap, get to church. All get right. Get to church. Next one. I, I threw this one in here because it actually make, you have to kind of do this before you do the next one. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, yeah, that makes no, sense. I, I appreciate uh, that. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. Uh, get married and have kids. Yeah. Now, here, I want to be careful. Not everyone must get married. I'm not making a command here, but I'm saying that this is quite possibly could be something that you could do. This is one of the steps that you can do that will begin to push back 
into culture on many definitions. Yes. Many redefining terms. Like when we redefine the Single, term. Singleness is the exception, not the rule. This, this for, is for the majority sure. of the population. This is to be sure. And, but particularly as we look in our culture, there are, there are many who would also point out that, you know, as Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians 7, this may not be the time that you get married. Maybe it's too hard right now. Maybe most people are actually shunning marriage. And this is what's happening in large part. Yeah. However, we would encourage the church mostly as the norm to get married because specifically the culture is shunning marriage and the benefits thereof. Because one of the benefits would also be have kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have kids. As we like to say, or you can say, Jesse, what's our phrase that we like to say about having kids? We need to out-childbear the libs. <laughs> is that the one you were thinking of? That's what I was thinking oh, of. Okay, yeah. Well done. Out-childbear the libs, people. And this is to say that God God calls us to uh, have many arrows in our quiver. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full as it speaks of children. Um, they are raising up godly children and godly families with godly parents. Uh, is is an arrow to the heart of the enemy of God. Yep. That's what it is. It is it is a glory to him for us to carry this forth as he gives us children as a gift to glorify him through. Yep. And God, God as another point, God opens wombs and God closes wombs and he is the only person to do that. And if he has closed a womb in your family, um, that is for a specific purpose and a specific reason, uh, none of which I will even try to guess. And it's not easy, and we acknowledge that. Yeah, exactly. But one thing we can also be certain of is that you should be placing yourself around kids, be involved with kids, help to train up kids. Because godly men father and godly women mother. That is what they do. Big bang, boom. So also the way to do that would be to go to a church, uh, see see step two, two. and read your Bible, see step one. Yep. Well, the next thing, Jesse, I'll just let you go on this one since it's your favorite thing to say in the world. Yep. Uh, The fourth one is pull out. Now, I can see where you added that after they get married. And- that is not what the fourth one says. You read the full fourth one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Pull your kids from public education, and then you added, or redefine your local public education system. Yes, I wanted to be clear. There's actually a large movement going on uh, in America. There's actually a whole uh, a whole political pact that started about uh, getting involved in your local public education, uh, joining your school board, uh, running for your school board. Uh, going to your school board meetings, uh, there there is a way in which you can redo. Now look, you can't do it nationally. It's there's too many. Every school district across the country is its own individual entity. And to be sure, are there issues if you begin to not conform to a state's particular prescribed uh, curriculum? Absolutely, you could lose funding. Uh, but if you're willing to put the work in and get elected onto your school board, guess what? You you have a community now that's standing behind you in your educational decisions. All right. That means there's lots of that. That has lots of implications. Mm-hmm. So you can get involved and you can do that. Um, now, if, if that's not possible in your particular area, what you can do is, as we just stated, get your kid out of public education. It is not public education. That sounds nice. It's actually state-run uh, institu- institutionalization. That's mm-hmm. that's what it is. And guess what they're teaching? Everything we're warning against in this podcast. They're teaching critical theory. Uh, So much focus has been put on the different segments of the grievance studies, the different segments of critical theory as applied. Uh, Here's the reality. Critical theory is the issue. I don't care if you're applying it to race, reproduction, environment, uh, gender. It doesn't matter where you apply it. Uh, Critical theory is the problem. It's setting up specifically conflict to destroy and tear down. And that's what's happening inside of our culture and our public schools. 
everywhere yep. across Western civilization. Yep. That's what's happening. You want to know probably one of the quickest ways that we can actually fundamentally redefine how education works in America. How's that, Jesse? Is if Christians took their kids out of public schools. Mm. So in New Jersey, each child in a public school is valued at $20,000 per child per year. That's not even including transportation costs. We are one of the highest spenders in education per child in our state. And guess what? Those school districts want that twenty want that twenty k. Um, you know, Mama needs a new smart board. So, you know, the quickest way to cripple that system is to simply bleed it dry, and you bleed it dry by removing your children from them, so that the funds aren't then granted to that district. And we've done a whole episode, episode two. I remember this one. You can go back and listen to the different options that are available to you in education and the pros and cons of some of them. It's not super detailed; it won't overwhelm you, but it's just got the different possibilities. Whether it be homeschooling, whether it be going to what is a traditional Christian school, whether it be going to a hybrid and the differences in each and the pros and cons of each and the things that you'll have to th think about. Things like costs of money, things like cost of resources, things like cost of time. Um, these are these are different things you'll have to think about as you look to do that. And you do have to do work to do that. But what, what, are, you, what are you saying if that's not something you're willing to do? You're saying, my child is not worth the work. Yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not a great reason. Um, if, if you're just going to use that as your excuse, just tell it to their face and get it over with. I mean, seriously. Well, what I, I mean, that may be a little, a little harsh. That's just how I feel about it right now. That is how you feel about it. What I was going to say is that, uh, if you're going to, if your kid is going to be in public education, this means you need to have a level of involvement with them, their teachers and your school board, uh, that is, is an equal amount of work as it is to either put in extra time at work to make sure you have the funds to send them to, um, public school or a private school um, or to have create the space where you have the time to invest in homeschool or to create the opportunity where you have both a little more money and a little more uh, time uh, and some resources invested so that you can do a, a, a part-time uh, kind of co-op situation. So either they all involve different amounts of work. Uh, every option involves a, a level of work more so that you can have your child actually trained up in the glory and righteousness of God as opposed to whatever a particular person or institution <clears throat> decides they should think. Yep. And guess what? Downsizing your house for your kids? Education? Worth it. So Not having a brand new car for your kids' education? Worth it. Worth it? Yep. Yep. Uh, like, so we... Anyway, I, I digress. We, we talked about that stuff. But what about the pool? Yeah, no. Pool, pool goes. Uh... It, once it's in, it's in, though. You can't really do anything about oh, it. Oh, wow. Now in, you're though. just trying to... Don't feed the dragon. All right. Uh, the, another thing you can do, uh, don't use their definitions uh, uh, is key. You, you do not use the wrong definitions. I believe you could uh, reference uh, one Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his uh, Solzhenitsyn. essay. In his essay, Live Not By Lies. The first thing you can do is not speak their lies for them. It's the first thing you can do. If you don't feel bold enough at first to stand up and, and speak the clear truth, the first thing you do, step one in faith, is not speak the lies. Yep. The next thing you can then do is begin to move towards acting on the truth and then acting and speaking on the truth. Now, I would encourage you, Christian, wholeheartedly to just pray right now and do both. Do it all. Yep. All at once. Um, but the first thing you can do is not use their definitions. Yep. Absolutely refuse it. Ask for clarification and then reject the definition. That's not that's not what racism is. That's not what 
uh, inequality is. That's not what prejudice is. That's not what gender identity gender is. Gender identity or, or gender. That's not what gender is. It's not what family is. If you really want to start pushing the envelope, um, you know, that's not what a man is. That's and you have to see, is. you have to understand the family is so clear, but when you tear down the family in a, in a society throughout history, guess what goes? The society, the whole thing goes, the, whole the culture thing. crumbles. Yep. Why? Because it's one of, but outside of the individual, it is the smallest building block of society and is essential for, to, to the continuance of a society is the family. Individuals do not continue a society. The family structure does. So yep. when you destroy the family, you destroy that civilization. And Ever. they would love nothing more than Western civilization to fall because unfortunately for them, wherever Christianity has spread, so goes that ideal look here's here's the thing well who who who, who, who makes the definition of family what what is a family god 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 is a family no god makes oh, the definition oh, god of makes a family. family right so uh you know a, a man a man and uh adopt a kid is that a family that would be uh no that'd be incorrect that's oh. not what god defined as as the family oh blues clues thinks that's a family blues clues is a Dude that talks. To oh no! Re- remember that. Remember that parade thing. Remember, oh, I remember the parade thing. Yeah, that was Blue's Clues. Oh, I know. I, I'm with you. I, I had watched it before you. I told you not to watch it. Yeah, no. And I'm, you watched it. Now you have regrets. I've got many, so many, so many regrets. <laughs> so many regrets. Um, the, we're gonna the, be dealing with that for a whole month, starting like in two days. Oh well, actually, we've been going for a while. I believe you could fly the rainbow flag at. Um, uh, Half United, United, United States embassies across the country since I want to say May 18th. That was signed as an executive order all oh the way through gosh. the end of June. Um, look, here's here's the thing. Uh, we're not pushing back on any idea. We're pushing back on all the Especially ideas. Think of those giant Russian soldiers in that, in that, in oh, that commercial. No, that commercial where it was. They'll eat our pansy soldiers up for breakfast. Don't get to eat. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> What I was trying to say is the family is it's it is oppressive that you would have people in certain roles, God given roles, so that they can most clearly um, reflect the image of God, the imago dei they were created in. That's oppressive. How dare you have those oppressive roles and oppressive natures? All right, that children would have to what obey or listen and learn. How dare you? That a woman would be would be intricately woven to be able to give uh, a life and legacy through her womb that she'd be able to nurture and care for a home that a man would be able to construct and defend a safe space for his family to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How dare you have those oppressive roles? Hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. What's I mean, the last point before we, we make this a six hour podcast? Yeah, we must get our definitions from scripture as much as possible and use the biblical terms as we discuss. That's again, not capitulating to other people's definitions, to the culture's definitions, but we must go to scripture. So that, that, that's why earlier we, we delineated between the culture's use of the word racism because it's actually a, an errant word. Which is why you define and restate, define and restate in yep. conversations constantly. Yep. Clarify, mm-hmm. um, you know, ethnic partiality. That's 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 that that combines the the biblical sin of partiality with the biblical concept of different ethnicities, um, and you you have ethnic partiality. It's that is what it is, um, and you can only define that so many ways. Um, you know, so yes, we we must go to scripture. We don't use terms like social justice. Because any qualifier before justice, other than God's, 
eliminates it and removes it from the plane of justice. It turns out most of the time when you do that, what you're actually could just say instead is the word injustice. Right. Yeah. If you could take the if you take take the adjective in front of and the word justice, put it together, what you mean is injustice. Yep. Think of the term reproductive justice, which oh, literally means murdering a baby. That's what that's what that means. Um that's that's it. So anyway that's that's what happened all right um and we wanted to we wanted to land wholeheartedly on what we have now told you to do right we told you to read your bibles so let us start there and in defining some things that will help you understand uh why these ideas are problematic why we can't just redefine the entire structure of the world through the language that we speak when the language we have speak comes from the objective source himself god why is it that that animals do not uh, think the way we do, all right, and then speak the way we speak? Why is that not the case? It is because they were not created in the Imago Dei. All right, so first off the bat, I wanted to read you a lengthier section of Ezekiel 18. It's a little long, but I'll read it in a way that hopefully it won't be so long. Um, this, is, this is talking about the thing that is so important when it comes to critical theory uh, and, and ideas of, of justice. Uh, this idea of oppression is is the reality that there mu- there is a always required judgment. Judgment is required in these things. Um, you must pass a judgment before you start. Now, here's the reality of it: they'll weight judgment uh, to one side or the other based on oppressor or oppressed. That's how they do it. Here, however, is what God says, uh, particularly about uh, His view of judgment. So uh, I'm in Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 19. Here is, hear the words of the Lord to the prophet Ezekiel. He says this, Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statues, he shall surely die. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sin that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him, for the righteousness that he has done he shall live. Hmm. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them he shall die. Yet you say... The way of the Lord is not just. Here now, O Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness that he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is not your ways that are not just? God is just. 
Starting in verse 38, I, I want to finish this too. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone, according to his own ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Hmm. Oh, man. Just to be clear. Uh, God is the judge and God judges justly. God judges righteously. And here he says he judges each person for what they do. This means you don't get to create group structures and intersectionality that set up different people based upon their different intersectional connections. You don't get or to skin s- color. What would, well, which race would be an is one of the intersections, right? You don't get to do that. That's not how God judges. God looks at you and says, what have you done, oh man? You. What have I done? I'm not judged as a group. I'm judged as me before God. Mm-hmm. And so that is the case for everyone that should be judged. We do not judge a person as a part of a group. We judge a person as the individual. What did they do? Yep. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, that was a long one. But I think it's a good one. That was a very good one. Uh, next we have Leviticus 19.15, um, which says this, Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give a preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Um, and so that's, that's, that's again, just speaking of the, the sin of, of partiality, of, of favoring one person over another um, based upon, you know, taking a pick of their characteristics, which is exactly what critical theory is based on in its practice in the social justice realm, especially. Yes, yeah, so let me say an inc- incredibly unpopular statement that is scripturally, that is scripturally accurate. There are far more unrighteous rich people than there are righteous rich people. But guess what else? There are far more unrighteous poor people than there are righteous poor people. Hmm. That's a fact. That's the biblical truth of what we understand of human nature is that guess what? There are the the righteous are few <laughs> and the unrighteous are many. That's that's truth. Now, that's not culturally acceptable. Those statements are not are not culturally acceptable because going all the way back to Marx, it, it is the poor that are oppressed. It is the rich that are the oppressors. However, what is matters is not whether you are rich or poor, but whether or not you are righteous or unrighteous. These are the, these are the categories that matter to a holy God. Dun, dun, dun. First Peter 117, we don't have to read it. It additionally says the same exact thing that God judges each individual for their deeds. Okay. Coming to the uh, crux of the matter, as we were speaking about language, we thought nothing more more apropos than to be in John chapter one. Yes. Uh, I've got I've got to pull it up here. Yes, sir. Um, so John one, one through five, and then jump to verse fourteen. So starting in verse one, it says this In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then jumping down to verse 14. Then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father. Full of grace and truth amen we cannot deconstruct language we cannot allow them to deconstruct language we cannot allow them to deconstruct the means by which god has revealed himself to us that is 
the word, um, which is also a person and his name is Jesus. We cannot allow that to be deconstructed. When Christ, the Logos, comes back and destroys evil with the Logos itself, he speaks. A sword comes from the mouth of God. I mean, God creates the world. And how does he create it? He creates it through the very person of Christ, the Logos, the word that he speaks, creating the world. This is not something that you can let go of. You cannot give over definitional uh, authority to some sort of secular cultural whim. It is an objective reality that... that words are are one of are they're the they're, they're the literal method god has chosen to reveal himself to us he has spoken to people he has written down for through people his message for us to understand my goodness that we would let give over the the deciding of how words are are done to the the spirit of the age to some sort of ethos of of ugh, wickedness <laughs> Let it not be. No, may it not be so. John fourteen six, last verse for the night, and this kind of brings it all together. Jesus said to him, "What is this? this is a, a well known coffee mug Christian coffee mug verse? I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Amen. And that 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 sums up who is he, who he is. Objective. He is the objective source. Where do you want? We want to know how to live life. Jesus, the objective source. What is the way to God? Jesus, the objective source. And what is truth? How can I find the objective truth? It is Jesus. God is this for us, and we should be thankful. Yep. Amen. Amen. Well, that that brings us to the end of our, our content here. Um, but we were remiss if we didn't mention that uh, if you had not seen on the socials, we have dropped another church um that you can go and pre-order now uh not because we're looking to uh grow our amazing business because we are not great at business <laughs> our our goal is to uh, get some more funds up to another brother in canada uh to begin to continue to push back on the attack here in western culture um so that we can begin to move this fight out out of this area into the greater reaches of the world that uh, we might strengthen churches everywhere. But uh, for Brother Tim Stevens, we have the uh, Christ's Body, Christ's Choice shirt. So if that sounds intriguing to you, you go ahead and check out the uh, shop at carbyfide.com or head over to the Instas or the Facebooks of the world and you can see what that's going to look like uh, coming up. Uh, so again, 10% of every sale is going to uh, assist um, Tim Stevens and his church in the legal struggles they are facing up in Canadia. Um, and uh, we're thankful. We're thankful to do this. This has been super exciting. Very, very the amazing. amount of encouragement coming from uh, the church across uh, the country and and in the great white north has been uh, has been awesome. Um, your encouragement to us has been so meaningful. Uh, we're looking to. Uh, we I mean we've been able to give so much more than we ever could have possibly thought we could have ever given. Certainly personally through 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 what you have done. We are we are working together at this, and we consider you a partner. So we hope you found this resource edifying. Uh, if you can continue to support the uh, churches going abroad, uh, we're thankful and grateful for your assistance there as well and your encouragement to them to stand hold, stand firm uh, and to hold strong, hold fast the truth of God. And that they and you, as always, would seize, seize the, the faith. faith.